Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and the worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use and they are simply a human command and teachings. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and a severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. So last time... We looked at, what did we look at, verse 16 and 17. So now we're going to pick up at 18. So last time it started with don't let anyone condemn you. And we saw how Jesus is the new covenant fulfillment, the brightness that the old covenant law, both the moral law and the ceremonial law, pointed to Jesus. The moral law is fulfilled in Jesus letting his love come and dwell inside of us so that he puts the law to death on the cross so that that covenant is, is done away with through his death, and he initiates a new covenant with us. The veil in the temple is torn at the moment he lets out a loud cry, and the access to the Holy of Holies becomes here and now. You are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within you and among us, and there's no separation any longer. Because the covenant has switched. We've been upgraded. It's Christ in you. And so Christ in you puts love in you. And love is the essence of all the law. Remember this? What's the most important commandment? Jesus says it's love. Love God, love people. All the law and the prophets hang on these. If you were a loving person, you would need no laws, right? Therefore, when Jesus comes inside of you and God is love, so God has come inside of you, love has come inside of you. And if you're led by the Spirit, you need no law. What a nice covenant, right? Pretty big upgrade. And, and, since you're not under law, he's not measuring you up. You're not in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, constantly sin aware, sin thinking, sin conscious. You're not a sinner anymore, friend. Let's take a couple of weeks on that one. We got Christians thinking they are still the old man that Jesus died to kill. What died in the cross? The old you. Through the waters of baptism, the old you died with Christ on the cross. And that old you was a sinner. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. Who can know it? But that old heart was what died. It's why Jesus died. He died to get the old you dead. And the new you, which is Christ in you, is the real you. When you sin, you're suffering from amnesia. When you sin, you are not acting according to who you really are. You've forgotten who you've become. Peter says if you're not making progress in the Christian life, you've forgotten that your sins are forgiven and you've been made brand new. 
You remember this? Anyone who's not making progress in this life has forgotten that he's been purified and, purified and cleansed. Why? Because as long as you remember what he's done, as long as you're rooted in the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, that you've been made brand new, as long as you remember it, you will continue to go from strength to strength and you will be changed more and more into his likeness. But the second you get back under old covenant, sin conscious, sin aware, under law, under regulations, under human ways of thinking, you'll stop growing. And that's really the point of everything he's about to say. The point of everything he's about to say. But we also get involved in spirituality, not just legalism, but spirituality. Nothing wrong with having spiritual experiences. But look at what he says. By the way, you, you, I already tried to turn the thermostat down, but apparently it's just me. Uh, I was like, surely it's 78 degrees in here. It's 68. No, everybody else is more important. Okay. Don't let anyone... So he started last time by saying, don't let anyone condemn you, right? They think that they are biblical and you are unbiblical because they are legalistic and reading the Bible apart from the finished work of Jesus. It's a way of interpreting the Bible that makes sense if you don't understand the gospel, right? This, just yesterday, I spent like most of my day writing a whole document responding to a guy who said that unless you're baptized fully immersed, and only done in Jesus' name, can't be the Trinity, can't be sprinkled, then you will go to hell for sure. That's very weird. So I wrote a whole thing explaining how that is essentially a New Testament equivalent of an Old Testament lie that says circumcision will save you. Since circumcision and baptism are the rites of entrance, into the believing community, neither saves you. They just bring you into the community that has the salvation stuff that if your heart connects with God in it, then you can be saved. But it's also possible to be in church, baptized, sing the songs, pray the prayers, teach the Bible studies, go to hell. Right? Because it's possible to be a hypocrite. It's possible to be a fake convert. It's possible to have, to have like Jesus said, uh, Matthew 15, 8, Quoting Isaiah 29, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's possible. Which is another way of saying only Jesus saves. And you have to have a heart connection with Jesus. Here's a fun one. Is there any good thing you do to make yourself right with God? No? So you're not saved by good works? All right, so how about this good work? What, if, what about the good work of you believing perfectly right doctrine? You know how many people believe that lie? They think that if I believe the right things about Jesus and pray the prayer one time 17 years ago, they're in, permanently in, and they're just in. That's actually a work salvation. They're doing the good work of believing exactly right. Problem with that is that uh, there will be people in heaven who believe the wrong things. Do you think every one of you is perfectly biblical? Do you believe everything perfectly accurately? Anyone want a show of hands? I believe perfectly. I have nothing left to, to upgrade in my thinking. And yet you expect to be in heaven because of your right relationship to Jesus, right connection. He saves you. 
Your believing the right things doesn't save you. He saves you. So that means there's going to be a lot of people in hell who believe the right things. You can get to heaven believing the wrong things. You can get to hell believing the right things. It's all about this connection with Jesus. Okay. So now he says this. Last time he said, don't let anyone condemn you because they're trying to get more biblical than, actually it's not biblical, it's Bible apart from the fulfillment of Jesus. And then this time he says, don't let anyone disqualify you. What does it mean? What does it feel like when someone disqualifies you? You ever been around people who have real spiritual experiences, but instead of making you hungry for those experiences, the more they talk about them, the more you just want them to shut up and go away? Right? Like, like here's one. Somebody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, they come back from a conference, and instead of laying hands on you to get you filled with the Holy Spirit, they tell you you missed it because you should have been there? That's weird, right? Or somebody's in church, and during the singing time, the Holy Spirit landed on them because their hearts were sincere? Right? Because you know all that pageantry is for us, not him, right? Meaning he doesn't need the mood in the room to be right. He's ready now. Holy Spirit can go to zero to 60 in the speed of faith. The pageantry is really for us setting our stage so our hearts can finally get involved in the right attitude that receives. Because he, know, he knows we draw near to him, he'll draw near. To, am I talking too fast? I feel like I'm talking too fast. There's this YouTuber that I watch, and he's Korean. And everybody always makes fun of him because he looks just like the kid from Up. And he gets so mad. And it's year after year in the comment section. You know, he's kind of grumpy like an old man yelling for him to, people to get off his porch. That's a random, let's get back to the sermon. <laughs> Can I also interrupt the sermon to tell you that I started to really stress out when I realized that I forgot to put deodorant on this morning? And then I was like all worshiping hard and go, uh-oh, I'm sweating. And what's it? Oh, my. And Carolyn Biggs saved me with, she's like down in the, in the <laughs> we have some kits put together for people just like you. Okay, so last time it was don't let anyone condemn you, right? Don't let anyone condemn you. You have Jesus. You have the real. Think what you want on what days are sacred. Think what you want on what to do with some of these festivals. Think what you want. Think and let think. Jesus is all that matters. You be convinced. We'll be convinced, right? The old Christian adage says something like, in, 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 in disagreements, in debatable matters, unity. Why? Because it, Jesus. I'll forget it. I'll get the quote later, better later. You ever, you ever have a quote in your brain and you're like, you can't get it just right? It's like a joke that you try to tell and the joke. See, this is what happens. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. So last week, what we saw was some people with some non-essentials trying to require others to obey their conscience. That's not helpful, is it? But it's very normal. Why? Because we're passionately convinced. And then we make things that are non-essentials so important to us that we start to treat them as though they were essentials, and then we impose them on other Christians. That's the standard practice. That's what we, we intuitively do that, and we all need to be kind of slapped upside the head and told, hold up, hold up. Is this Jesus? Is this a Jesus issue? And then in our brain we go, well, I can find a way to make it one. All right? Like, like how old is the earth? Christians tell me that unless I believe like them about the age of the earth, then somehow I'm denying Christ. 
Meanwhile, I'm walking with Christ. Anywho, so last week it was don't let anyone condemn you. This week it's don't let anyone disqualify you, meaning you feel invalid around them. Why? It says because, because they're insisting that they're hard on themselves and they're very disciplined and they, and oh, what's this angel worship stuff? Oh, I had encounters with an angel, y'all. And then you go, oh my goodness, I think I, sh- I should be having encounters. Why am I not having encounters with angels? This guy reads 17 chapters of the Old Testament every day. I once read a guy and he said, he starts out by reading five chapters of Moses and then prays a couple Psalms and reads the proverb chapter for the day. But then he also makes sure he reads one of the, one of the you know, one of the, chapters of the gospels but then he spends and then he reads a whole letter of paul and tries to then spend and, and you know maybe you can't do as much and i was like i'm not going to tell you who it was he's a godly man but by the time he was done i was feeling disqualified i'm just saying some of y'all are like dude i ain't never even read the whole bible well don't feel disqualified because what did we just see jesus right relationship with jesus will take you where you need to get and of course, I'd love it if you daily read the Bible. But there's this weird thing where we start to compare each other. We compare ourselves among ourselves, right? Doesn't scripture say something about that? We're not wise when we compare ourselves among ourselves. But here's this guy. Puff, he says, self-abasement, worship of angels. This is interesting. Have you ever seen people whose ministry starts out with Jesus, but then it gets sidetracked with personal experiences? And, and instead of preaching the gospel... The gospel, the finished work of Jesus, who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, the the main and the plain, the thing that actually reconciles you, transforms you, saves you, the thing that puts love on the inside, the thing you're here to preach, right? Paul says, Paul's a genius, by the way, and he says, when I was with you, Corinthians, I pretended that the only thing I knew was Jesus and that the only thing I knew about Jesus was his cross because here's what I found. I found that when people try to build their faith on my worldview, my intelligence, my ideas, my beliefs, my little system of thought, it doesn't bear much fruit. But when they build their life on Jesus and his finished work and the simplicity of his love revealed in the cross, boom, it bears all kinds of fruit. Huh, interesting. So I'm going to pretend that I'm not as smart as I am and that I don't know all this extra stuff and I'm going to drill down to the thing where I'm going to give you Jesus. But I've seen people whose ministry, they start to have experiences with angels. Next thing you know, that's what they're talking about. Well, I got an angel and her name is Breakthrough or whatever and they got, and, and I'm not even saying it's not true. It's not even my point. Next thing you know, the whole hour is spent talking about their experiences and what they saw. Lord took me up into the heavens and I was flying down this road and this highway and I saw this and this turned to left and in the vision we went over here. And it might be true. But you know what Paul did when he had incredible experiences? In 2 Corinthians, he ain't talking about a man he knows. He's talking about himself, but he's pretending that it's a man he knows. I know a man in Christ who was taken up to the third heaven and saw things that people aren't permitted to talk about, things that are just mind-blowing that I don't even know how to put into words because you can't describe them in words because they're beyond human words. And then he goes, I'm a fool for talking like this, y'all. I'm a fool for talking about my sufferings and my, my story and my, my personal, in my per, all that I've been through for, and how wrong it is. I'm a, fool for, I'm a fool for changing the subject, but y'all made me do it because you're glorying in some fake apostles. 
and he feels like an idiot because he's had to change the topic to get them back from the ledge of making much of people. People who have all sorts of experience but don't have fruit. And that's the thing about religious experience. That's the thing about prophetic words. That's the thing about angel encounters. How, what amazing thing God said to you is not important. What's, what's important is how rooted and fruited you are in your walk with Jesus. But people will run after people who have profound experiences instead of people who have character and love and are kind and sweet and living in a way that leads to a life that pleases God. I've had some angel experiences. We could talk about them, but I've never felt permission to talk about them in public. In fact, I had somebody who was trying to defend me because somebody found out about my angel encounter and they were spreading bad things about me in the community. So my friend called me up, tell me what happened. I said, it's none of your business what happened. It's none of your business. That was between me and God. It was really sacred to me and you, it's none of your business. Well, you don't understand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, I just, I just want to, I just want to defend you. I said, I don't need you to defend me. I don't care what those people think. It's none of my business what those people think about me. It's none of my business or problem. And he pushed and pushed. Finally, I told him. And he goes, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm like, ah. You remember the story where Jesus is on the mountaintop and Peter's there and John's there and Moses and Elijah show up and Peter's like flabbergasted because as soon as Moses and Elijah show up, Jesus changes to be as he really is. He's no longer like veiled. His, this is the description. His clothes became whiter than any laundry soap could wash them. And I'm like, you're struggling for words, aren't you, bro? <laughs> right? And his face shone, and here comes Moses and Elijah, which is interesting, right? The law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. And they're having a conversation, and Peter's like so overwhelmed. He's like, uh, uh, this is great. Uh, we should build a tent. Uh, I'll build a fire. We'll cook something. We can hang out. You guys should stay. And it says he didn't know what he was saying because he was just overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden, a cloud comes onto the top of the mountain with them, right? And he can't see, they can't see anything. And the voice from heaven says, this is my son. What does it say? Listen to him. Now, isn't that interesting? You got the law and the prophets right there. And the father's voice says, listen to him. So even if you're reading the law, what should you be listening for? Him. Even if you're reading the prophets, what should you be listening for? Him. And even if you're in a mountaintop crazy experience with an angel, what should you be looking for? Jesus should be the focus of our mountaintop experiences with God. So some people, Paul says, are puffed up. Maybe it's valid. Maybe it's real experiences. But real experiences, Paul says, the good real experiences God gave him were dangerous to his soul. And then in response to the danger of, ooh, I must be special. God granted me to go up to the third heavens. The danger for pride. I'm better than others. I'm, I'm really something. So in order that he would not be puffed up with pride, the Lord allowed him to come under the attack of some kind of thorn in his side. Some people believe it was a physical malady. I tend to think it was annoying people. Because in, the, in Greek language, a thorn in someone's side is a persistent, nagging military attack that doesn't take you down, it just exhausts and annoys you. And it makes you really frustrated. But you believe what you want. The point is, 
Those genuine experiences were a temptation for pride, and God protected, listen to me, God protected Paul by allowing allowing him to have some hard things in his life. He protected Paul by keeping him aware of his weakness that caused him to need help. He needed others to pray for him, and he asked for prayer often. He needed God to help him. In fact, he's like, God, I don't think I can do this. And the Lord's like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so now Paul has this insight. Some of these folks that are coming with their incredible encounters with an angel are not actually very spiritual. They're not very deep. And they're distracting you and making you feel unspiritual and disqualified when you already have the one who qualifies you. Am I saying we shouldn't have angel encounters? I mean, Abraham did. He entertained angels and fed them food, and, or maybe it was a pre-incarnate existence of the Trinity. But Abraham definitely entertained some angels. Jacob wrestled with an angel. Oh, am I going to say it? Yes, I am. There's a hilarious meme where there's angel, the angel wrestling with Jacob, and in King James English it says, and the angel struck Jacob with his own hands and said, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. But, he, but lo, he could not, for he was hitting himself with his own hands. <laughs> Brilliant, hilarious joke. But Jacob encountered angels. Joseph, you, you name it, Joseph and Mary. Constant, it looks like Joseph's constantly having angel encounters in dreams. And by the way, the dream encounters with, with God are counted as just as real as if they didn't happen in a dream. What do you do with that? That's interesting, right? Yeah, look for Jesus. Well, it was actually to protect Jesus from the murderous political leaders trying to kill him out of, out of fear and envy. We're almost done here. Um, hey, bless you guys. Love you. So, these, these, these things with, like, Angels are our servants. Angels are, are, are assigned to serve us. And, and, and you go, what? It's, it's okay. It's okay for you to have angel encounters. But they serve Jesus too. Do you remember the story in the book of Revelation where John encounters this angel? And it's John. It's the apostle John. It's the, it's the one whom Jesus loved. It's the one who put his head on Jesus' chest when they were sitting around, the, not sitting, they were laying around the table. Just real quick. The table was low to the ground, like this low. And they would lay like this with their head, on, with their arm on a pillow. And the person next to them would sort of be like stacked up like little sardines next to them all in a circle. And they would reach out with the hand. Can anyone in the back see me? Good. I'm hiding. And they would dip the bread in the oil. Can you see then how, how John could put his head on Jesus' chest? Can you see then how Mary could come in and anoint his feet? Because she's not crawling around under a table because the table's in the middle and it's low to the ground. By the way, this is really awkward. Um, but John, who put his head on Jesus' chest, John, who was the disciple Jesus loved, when he had an encounter with an angel in the book of Revelation, he's tempted to worship. He gets down on his knees like he's going to worship this angel. And the angel's like, what are you doing? Do you want to kill me? It's, the angels got the fear of the Lord. Get up. What are you doing? I'm not going to sin against Almighty God by going, oh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I like that. I appreciate that. But that's the thing that makes... That angel knew not to do what some of us are tempted to do when we have encounters with spiritual things. Oh, yeah, let me tell you my stories. I'm so spiritual. 
<laughs> and people like me who take great joy in saying something clearly on Facebook, it's the same temptation if it gets, oh, why did this one get 10 shares and this other post that I was more excited about only got five likes. Oh, Lord, I, I don't like that. Tim, it's good for you to have some, some, <laughs> some goom. Right? Because it's not, it's about him and helping. It's not about like, oh, oh my, see, oh. But that's the point he's making. Don't run after people who are, ooh, this is me. It's, uh, praise Jesus, but it's really about me. Look how great I sang. Oh. I was at this songwriters conference in Colorado. And, and there's people there who are there ready to sign young songwriting Christian artists to their label. And the young Christian artists all know it. And so like one morning I walk out and there's a kid sitting on a rock and he's singing and he's, oh man, that guy had the best pipes ever. His, his vibrato was just on point. Like his voice was just, oof, yeah. And he was just going after, was he going after the Lord? Or was he a rooster? Huh? 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 All right, okay. Because that's the point of roosters. That's why they have their colors and their thing and their... Ah, uh, stop, I'm embarrassing myself. <laughs> so he says, be careful. Don't let anyone disqualify you insisting on all the intense, harsh treatment. Oh, man, you brother, you need to really be digging in. I heard somebody right up here at the altar one time say, well, sir, uh, the, the reason your carpal tunnel is acting up is because you've been skipping your devotions. <sighs> that guy needs to be tackled off the prayer team. <laughs> Just quick, somebody sack him. 20-yard loss. Repeat something down. Don't let anyone disqualify insisting on self-abasement. The worship of angels dwelling on visions. I had a vision, I had a vision. Yeah, but okay, but do you have fruit? Was the vision Jesus? Was it the finished... Am I saying don't have visions? No, have them. Go crazy. Fast pray, encounter God, have angel encounters. That's fine. Great. Do it. If it assists you in the Jesus thing and making much of him, in making much of him, not making much of you for having the experience, not making much of the angel for help. The angel don't want that. If You know what I'm saying? The angel's face palming the whole time going, I wish I hadn't even stabbed that sword of fire into his back if that's how he's going to act. Back on topic. And here's why. Not holding fast. This is all a human way of thinking, he says. It's very spiritual experiences. Or is it? No, Paul says it's carnal. It sounds, oh, spiritual. Ooh. Paul says it's a human way of thinking. Not, not holding fast to Jesus, the head of the body, from whom the body is nourished and held together. Oh, that's interesting. So it's Jesus that feeds you, the church. It's Jesus that feeds, nourishes you. And it's Jesus that holds us together. Without him, come on, y'all, we know it. Without him, we would, we would split apart. We would have, and you go, well, we are kind of split apart. Aren't there like a thousand new denominations a year? <laughs> you know, I, that's probably an exaggeration. But once I heard a, an evangelist bragging about he, how he was giving birth in prayer, he was... 
Mr. Lamar's breathing, and he gave birth to an entire denomination that weekend. I, I was like, this is getting weird. <laughs> but I'm not leaving because it's very entertaining. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I gave birth to an entire denomination. But it's Jesus that nourishes the body. It's Jesus that holds us together. And it's Jesus that causes people to grow with a growth that comes from God. And then next week or whenever I get back to it, we'll talk about the whole do not touch, do not handle, do not taste, and the harsh treatment of the body back in the, you know, hundreds of, in the first few hundred years of the church. I remember reading about some of these early pastors, and they were so distrustful of, they thought, they equated the flesh with the body. So they wanted to not make, they didn't want to eat, they didn't want to eat good tasty food, and they didn't want to have a soft, soft uh, mattress, you know, like, I think it was, well, I'm not going to slander people wrongly. One of the church fathers like slept on the, on the hard concrete, harsh treatment of his body. You go, did that actually help you not sin? Paul says, no, it didn't. You know what helps you not sin, guys? The love of Jesus. If instead of reading every man's battle, Every man who was having a battle would study Jesus and get to know him and hear his voice and walk more intimately with him and receive his love and understand they're not under law, but they're under grace. Their focus would switch from not sinning today. Oh, not sin, not sin. I can't sin, not sin. Oh my goodness, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Well, you're going to sin if that's what you're thinking. Law puts you squarely in the flesh and it provokes sin. Grace removes that and puts your focus squarely on Jesus and his free, undeserved, completely real and present and accessible love, and you fall in love with Jesus. And you know what changes your heart? Falling in love with Jesus necessarily pushes out the lesser loves in your heart. A greater love, because this is what God said, you can't love God and money, God and mammon. He didn't say you shouldn't try. He said it doesn't work like that. The heart, the heart will always be occupied by whatever you love most. Greater loves always push out lesser loves. So grace puts you in contact with the greatest love that as you learn to walk with, know him, stop valuating yourself as though you're still under the law and receive that, you change. Are we good? All right, go ahead and uh, stand up. I didn't get through half the stuff on my notes. That's okay. You ready for some repeat after me's? Well, one is. One person. <laughs> one person in Jesus is the majority. We're going with it. All right. Repeat after me. I thank you, God, that your love is for me, that you're not against me, that the enemy is defeated, that I'm saved by grace, that I'm not saved by works. That I can't save myself. And I refuse to try. I receive your love, Jesus. I receive your hope, Jesus. My life has value. You have purpose for my life. Your pleasure is in me. You take delight in me. I'm learning how to know you. And every day I'm growing. Amen.